You're on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM. You're listening to Scotty and you're listening to Behind the Lines. And we are joined on the phone all the way from Palm Island by Mr. Thomas Hanson. How are you, Thomas? I'm great, Scotty. How are you, how are you doing? Oh, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. So you guys have been setting up an, an aquaculture business up there. Is this correct? Yeah, yeah. We're, um, we're, we're uh, up and coming uh aquaculture company um we're, we're um, in the development stages at the moment of uh creating a uh, multi-species uh aquaculture hatchery um in uh in one of the islands uh, in the palm island groups called phantom island and um yeah we've been working on the project uh for about five years now my, my business partner lee chandler and i have um We've gone through uh, uh, the Marine Park Authority assessment processes, and uh, we're just tidying up loose ends right now on um, environmental impact statements that we're producing to uh, to um, mitigate mitigate um, some of the actions that are going to be happening on our on our agriculture farm. Yeah, nice one, nice one. Well, well let's. Um Let's set a context because this is a pretty remarkable project when you look at it in its entirety. I reckon. Um, so let, let's go back in history. Let's go back in time about three hundred years and, and go on a trip around the area of sort of Townsville and the islands. There, well, what sort of society would we find ourselves in? Uh, well, we'd find ourselves uh, looking at um, well, Phantom Island to begin with was uh, it's set up as a leper leprosy um, colony. Um, um, back in those days, and, um, and Palm Island, you would you would have found um, groups of about probably uh, I think it's safe to say about forty plus different tribes uh, moved uh, moved to Palm Island, and uh, it was um, it, it was a it was a mission settlement um, I, I, um, by the Franciscan missionaries of Mary, I believe. And um, yeah, so we'd find ourselves in a lot different, <laughs> a lot different state of affairs. Um, uh, you know, everything was governed a lot differently back then, as as we all know. So yeah, yeah, right, right. So how about before that? Before the white fellas decided to come in and take over things, um, what was it like then? Oh look, um, it, it it would have been. Uh, it would have been very interesting. It would have, been, you know, um, I couldn't imagine being um, being actually on Palm Island when uh, first white settlement had come. Uh, it would have been very traditional, um, very traditional setting. It would have been uh, coastal populations um, uh, thriving on on the on the boundaries of the ocean at that time. So uh, you know, very very close to the land, but very close connection to the land and. Um, yeah, it would it would have just been a totally different, totally different era, totally different setting. Hmm. And were there a lot of language groups in the area? I know some areas have got a lot of uh, a lot of different peoples in them, and others have only got a few. What was it like yeah, up there? Well, we, we would have found uh, we would have found uh, the Manborough people, um, who are the traditional owners of of, uh, of this area. And um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sh- I'm not too sure on the on the language grouping there, Scotty. No worries, no worries. Um, yeah, so you mentioned that the, the people would have been just harvesting what was about there. How much sort of food would have been there? Oh, look, it would have been way more plentiful in those days, uh, as, as you could imagine. Um, but, but you know, um, probably the main staple in uh, coastal community diets would have been um, turtle and dugong, 
and um, and then um, and then uh, organisms from the reef flat like giant clams and uh, sea cucumber and um, and oysters, of course. So yeah, it would have been uh, it would have been plentiful in those days. Yeah, yeah. And would there have been anything to sort of suit the vegetarians back in the day? Or? Um, um, look, I'm I'm sure there would have been uh, banana trees growing. Um, there would have been uh, coconuts. There would have been um, uh, wild yams. Uh, we we do have on the mainland on the main island. We do have uh, wild taro growing. And uh, so yeah, there would have been a wide variety. No, it wouldn't have been um, confined just to uh, just the oceanic. Um, Oceanic food or anything like that, but uh, yeah, there, there is a wide variety of wild foods on the island. Yeah, yeah. How how much time do you reckon traditional people would have spent working? I think I think just to uh, be able to feed yourself back in those days, you probably would have spent um, all day hunting, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there, there would have been. Uh, you know, there would have been chosen members of each group to go out and, and uh, perform those tasks day in, day out. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd imagine it would take all day just to feed uh, to feed a small population. Yeah, that's right, because not everybody can do it, can they? That's right. Yeah. All right, so what happened in the area when the English colonials did show up? Um. You know, I'm I'm really not sure on the on the on the colonial history um, surrounding that era. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I, um, well, you mentioned that um, that about forty different groups wound up in in Palm Island. How how did they get there? Um, yeah. Well, I think it was um, basically uh, the the population would have been uh, comprised of probably uh, uh, rogue, maybe uh, maybe um, inmates. You know. Would have been sent here, and um, and uh, I, I do know that Phantom Island was set aside for uh, half caste people at one time. Um, my great grandmother um, and my grandmother lived on Phantom Island, and uh, it was because of half caste blood. So I do know that much. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, so basically, I guess that were, were those people getting booted out of their own lands, or yeah, I, look, I suppose they would have been. Um, it's uh, it, the the history is really is really um, sketchy at best. Yeah, um, right. yep. surrounding concerning that uh, that that area of things. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, well how, what does it look like today? Can you just sort of describe the area and, like you say, islands? So, what part of Australia are you near? So, um, we're we're just up the coast, up up the coast, about um, uh, fifty fifty. 55 kilometres from Townsville in, in North Queensland. So um, we're really in a very tropical zone. Um, the rainfall rainfall is uh, very heavy in this region, and uh, so it's really lush and really green tropical uh, islands. And um, and um, we're we're located in a in an area that actually um, the currents, the natural flowing currents around Palm Island, uh, uh, carry the flood plumes around us. So. Um, our waters are very pristine, so what, what you what you're essentially getting is crystal clear blue water, and then green pearlescent reefs, and, and uh, white sandy beaches, and then immediately lush tropical um, lush, lush tropical growth. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, it sounds sounds all right, really, doesn't it? 
Oh, it's beautiful, mate. <laughs> I wouldn't trade it for the world. <laughs> That's great. And, and um, yeah, are, are all of those sort of sea life and stuff that you mentioned before, are they all still present? Yeah, well, um, it's in abundance, which is kind of why we've uh, chosen to um, farm some of the species that, we've, uh, that we're farming um, because we have the opportunity here to... Um, to get away from like barramundi farming and coral trout farming and stuff, we we have the opportunity here because of the um, cla- uh, the, the purity of the water here to uh, grow species that can't be grown anywhere else in Australia, you know. So um, yeah, it, it's a uh, it, it's a really good opportunity. This island pr- uh, provides a really good opportunity to do uh, things that can't be done elsewhere, you know. Yeah, right. So near Townsville, you're right up in the in the heat. You've got wet and dry seasons up there. Is that right? Oh yeah, it's been mostly dry season lately, mate. <laughs> but <laughs> I think it's been that way all over. Eh? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't know. It's on down south here. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. totally yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's actually raining outside right now. So <laughs> ah, nice, nice. Yeah, we're getting a shower. Beautiful. And you would get cyclones every now and then. Oh yeah, we uh, we we're directly in the in the path of of uh, cyclones most of the time. But you know, surprisingly <laughs> enough, we um, in all the years that I've lived here, I've never seen uh, significant damage from cyclones. But yeah, we do get them, and uh, we we do have to hunker down sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I guess uh, all up and down the coast, people describe themselves as saltwater people. Um, yeah, that's right, mate. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> would you count yourself as a saltwater? Yes, 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 I would. I, um, I would definitely count myself as a saltwater person. I, uh, I spend most of my time in and around the saltwater, um, and uh, I think uh, I think it's safe to say that everybody else on Palm Island would count themselves as a saltwater person as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, so that, I guess, involves just going out heaps under the water, eh? Well, you know, it's... Uh, you know, everybody on the island has a boat, and um, it's it's you know, it, it's kind of against the unsaid rules not to go out in the boat when it's flat calm out. You know, so um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we see each other in the community and out on the water as well. Yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> bloody big lounge room. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good playground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess. Um, the books like Bill Gamage's book on the biggest estate on earth, and and, and Bill uh, Bruce Pascoe has been been out and about, uh, sort of revealing, I guess, for us white folks how how the the land was one great big paddock that was managed by the locals, and and sort of uh, the diversity and the the abundance of the land and the soil was sort of encouraged in you know, all sorts of ways. Um, was the sea managed in a similar sort of way? Um, well, you know, our people have been, um, Aboriginal people have been uh, uh, utilizing the sea and with farming methods for centuries uh, since time began. Um, if you if you look back uh, at um, designs like the ancient fish trap, you mm-hmm. know, um, which which allowed people to not have to go out on on such an arduous hunting task um, when you know, they could wait till the tide went out and trap fish within this fish trap and they could go out and readily, they were readily available, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that it's fair to say um, um, that it, the sea was managed as well. 
Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, from someone who lives inland, sort of at 600 metres above sea level with a, with a crusty lake nearby, this all seems really foreign to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, you yeah. can get some carp in the lake, but you wouldn't want to eat them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we've we, we got a wide variety of fish here, so um, um, it's, it's, it's a big grocery store, look, and uh, I, I think it's safe to say that probably 80% of the people here... Um, Subs, uh, you know, uh, get half of their diet from the ocean. So, um, you know, we're not we're not spending a lot of time at the butcher shop over here, mate. When you can just go out and uh, get a block of pillies and go out and get yourself a, a Spanish mackerel whenever you'd like, you know. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, well, that's all right. Canberra's pretty good. Um, yeah. Now. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. So I guess in all ecologies, you've got some really foundational sort of species, and I guess the famous one in the in the, in the the ocean is, is the krill, which gets your blue whales to go and all of that sort of stuff. What are the sort of the really key, the basic species around there that are so important for all the others? Yeah, well, um, it, you're exactly right about uh, krill. So it, 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 all, it all stems from planktonic, <laughs> planktonic organisms, you know, <clears throat> that feed the bigger organisms. Um, but um, you know, I, I guess I would say uh, the seagrass here is really what um, really what binds everything together. Um, it, it provides habitat uh, for, for fish species. Um, it provides food for for turtles and dugongs. And so, yeah, I would really have to say that um, that seagrass probably plays the most important role in the in the ecosystem around here in the ocean. Yeah, right, right. So I guess I guess bird watchers keep a little book and they note down all the different things that they've seen. Has anyone done a count of how many sort of species you might have in that in that area, in the ocean? Uh, you know, I, I know that um, uh, James Cook University has been doing studies since uh, since the 80s and actually um, uh, our, chief, our chief project consultant um, is headed up most of that work, Dr. Richard Braley. Um, Done a lot of work uh, with the Orpheus Island Research Project, and um, and and also there on Phantom Island. So yeah, I think um, I think you'll find quite an extensive database of, of uh, species that have been sighted or collected in the wild here. Hmm, and there'd be hundreds of them, I imagine. Oh, I, I imagine we're pro- probably talking in the millions, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially if you go microscopic. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could get that far. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Um, so what's the history of the whitefellas' use around there? I mean, I know a lot of Australia was colonised first by whalers and sealers and stuff. What, what happened in the early days there? Yeah, you know, you know, I think um, the, there was a, a, tr- a trochus shell um, industry here, and uh, I, I do I do know that they had uh, pearl oysters here as well. So I think um, a lot of the workforce would have been based around that, but um, more so, I guess, in just building the community. Uh, you would have probably found most people in the workforce doing that in the, the com- uh, actual community development part of it. Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, so I guess getting one of these giant clams, <laughs> you want to introduce the giant clam for us? Yes, I'd love to. Um, it's actually one of the primary species of, of our uh, multi, multi-species hatchery, and uh, um, it, it's uh, the, the, the ones that we're farming are, are um, found 
found abundantly here, and um, they're um, the, the Tridacna gigas, uh, the Tridacna durasa, Tridacna squamosa, um, and the Tridacna hippopus. Um, so these these are the primary primary giant clams. Um, uh, they they call the they they're called the solar animal. Um, they they they, uh, <clears throat> they get uh, they take sunlight and turn it into pure energy, and 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 um, they they survive like that. Yeah, hang on a minute, hang on. Don't plants do that? Yeah, they do as well. Um, huh. The giant clam actually does it with a symbiotic organism um, called zooxanthellae. So um, the zooxanthellae um, collects the light for the giant clam. It, it eats the it, it eats the, the pro, uh, it produces the proteins that the giant clam needs to survive. So it's kind of like a symbiotic relationship. Wow, that's pretty remarkable. Do you know of yeah. any other animals that have managed to uh, managed to do that? You know, I, I couldn't I couldn't think of any right off the top of my head. But mm. um, the giant clam is the, is the main one that does that. Yeah, wow, well, yeah. that's pretty remarkable. So does it need to be fed at all? Um, well, in the early stages. Um, in the hatchery, yes, of course, you would have to feed it uh, algae. Algae, so ah, we would give it a blend of um, of algae. Um, I, I can't tell you eleven herbs and spices, but uh, <laughs> I will tell you that it's a special blend that we that we'll feed to the <clears throat> to the juveniles mm-hmm. until they can be transferred into an ocean grow out setting where they can uh, feed feed in a you know natural state. And how do how do these clams fit in with the uh, the other animals in the in the ocean? Oh well, look, um, the the shell actually uh, when the animal dies out, and even while the organism is alive, uh, provides um, good uh, good um, hiding cover for uh, for small fish, which are essential for um, cleaning up the bottom of the ocean. You know, and um, yeah, hiding hides things from predators, and and when the when the organism dies. Um, it, it creates a, a whole other house, and, and you, you tend to see uh, miniature ecosystems um, surrounding these clamshells out in the wild. Yeah, right. So they're they're pretty pretty handy for a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, well, what are the sort of threats to them in the wild? Well, I suppose the the, the biggest one in the wild would be uh, well. As, as far as predatory uh, species goes, you, you probably uh, you're looking at octopus um, like to feed on them, and uh, uh, but I think primarily um, what would threaten them the most would be uh, probably bleaching events and um, you know water tem- drastic water temperature changes. Yeah, because um, yeah, the water temperature changes do affect um, do affect uh, how full the gonads are and how, how much they can spawn as well. Yeah, right, right. Uh, I'm trying to recall the the coral bleaching. How does that work again? Oh, well, it's just when uh, you get a <clears throat> you get a rise in the water temperature. Um, it just uh, it it um, that organism zooxanthella that I was talking about again um, is actually in the coral too, so it kills that. Yeah, and, uh, right. And, and the zooxanthella is what gives coral its color, you know. Okay, so this is the same thing that goes into the giant clam. Yeah, yeah. So I guess uh, back to what you were asking, if there was any other organisms that do that, I guess you could say coral does yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess because it doesn't move around, it's sort of different. But yeah, yeah very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Right, so the same sort of bleaching stuff applies to a giant clam as it does it, to coral. 
Yeah, it does, and it's a it's a direct effect of um, of water temperature. Hmm. So, has the giant clam got any backup systems for eating once if it does get a bleaching event? No, it doesn't. It's totally vulnerable at that stage. Yeah, right. So, a lot of the other sort of bivalves have got a like a water filter feeding sort of valvey thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it it is a it is a bivalve. Um, <clears throat> so it um. It, it can it can filter it does filter uh, algae through the through the water, but um, at the point that it loses its zooxanthellae, it's um, it's done for. Yeah, right, right. So it can't do without. Okay. Yeah. So farming, farming, uh, farming in the ocean. That's got to be slightly different from uh, running around with a tractor. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's no tractors involved. Uh, thank heavens. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is really different. Um, yeah, you actually, um, you're not disturbing. Um, you're not disturbing the natural environment um, uh, very much at all uh, when when you're uh, as opposed to you know plowing a field to have to plant crops. So um, basically, all you're doing is just increasing population densities um, throughout the grow out areas that you're utilizing in the ocean. So yeah, it's a really um, ecologically friendly way of of uh, of farming food and uh, and and the and the the food products that you get from farming in the ocean are very very high in protein as well. So, uh, can you just normally pluck a giant clam out of one place and take it to some island where there's none of them and and just throw them in the water and have them grow? Well, you can you can actually, um, and uh, it's uh, I've actually. Uh, um, before I started farming giant clams, um, I, I, I uh, have a have another place over on the neighbouring Phantom Island, um, away from the main island, and uh, and yeah, um, I, I used to I used to take uh, giant clams from other islands that uh, that had uh, more favourable characteristics, you know, um, larger sizes, uh, heavier meat quantities, and um, and I would uh, I would place them out in um, strategic spots. Around uh, out in front of my place, um, so that you know um, a, a really good, readily available food source was there for me. So yeah, of course you could, you know, and um, and, and uh, I think I'm probably not the only one that's ever done that over here. <laughs> no, no, you can see people doing that for a long time, hey. Uh, I, I think they would have been doing that for a long time, Scotty. But uh, I, I'd say populations um, were. Uh, well, much more dense back in those days, you know, uh, back before settlement and stuff. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So um, is, is that basically how, how the farming's done? Is it just a, a, the average clam sort of selected for, for the... Yeah, well, we, we do, um, we do um, uh, so, uh, selectively breed them um, for, uh, for for better characteristics, so... Um, yeah, it's 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 much like uh, breeding programs for for um, for livestock on land as well. So um, you always want to you always want to get the best parents so you can get the best genetic strain. Um, uh, the you you basically breed the favorable favorable characteristics that you want into the clams. So much like land uh, land based uh, breeding programs for livestock. Hmm, that's interesting. And and our, um. Are there a lot of clams left in the wild? Um, well, they're actually um, on a. Uh, they're listed as vulnerable species at the moment. So, um, and uh, we're seeing uh, we're seeing um, uh, things happen like um, 
total bans on wild collection um, in happening in the South China Sea at the moment um, uh, due to due to overfishing. So um, yeah, they're really um, they're really at the brink, and uh, so which is which is uh, another reason why we really wanted to get into breeding them um, so we could replenish our reefs around here as well. So yeah, um, look, you can go out in the wild and find a giant clam at random. But um, you know, I'd have to I'd have to say that the populations have um, have probably slipped even since I was a boy over here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Where do they like to live? Is it sort of the shallow water or the, the bit that gets exposed when the tide goes out? Or? Well, you do you do find them on the inner tidal flats um, where um, sometimes they're um, part, semi partially exposed. You know. Um, but um, look, I, I've seen them well uh, up at depths up to ten meters, even you know. And I'm sure I'm sure there's uh, giant clams at even deeper depths down there. Um, but I think the main thing for the the, the organism itself, it has to be um, able to collect sunlight to eat. So um, so you, you'll find them anywhere where they can be exposed to sunlight, direct sunlight. Yeah, well that makes sense. Yeah. So where, where's the best spot to to put your farm? Well, um, we, we actually uh, have 10 hectares proposed in um, Juno Bay. It's the inner tidal flats, so um, you're looking at uh, pretty much total exposure on, on the low tides uh, throughout the whole farm. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be setting our grow-outs grow there. Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess that gives you pretty good access too, doesn't well, it? Well, it, it does. It gives good access, and uh, the less diving I have to do, the better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So how do you handle that? You're on a mud flat, and you've got this animal that probably weighs a ton or something. How, well, do, you, how do you put it in the backpack? Yeah, well, it, it won't weigh a ton. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, in about five, five to seven years, you're looking at uh, probably, you know, maybe maybe uh, eight, eight to ten kilos of meat, probably. Um, so um, you, you, you would, um, yeah, we, we'd, uh, we'd probably... Um, We'd probably harvest the meat out there on the flat and trans- transport the meat and the and the shell separately off of the off of the um, grow out. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, it, it is quite a, a large and awkward animal as well, and it's got very sharp uh, very sharp shell. So um, you have yeah. to be really careful of that. So um, yeah, it would it would probably be easily easier managed if um, the the meat was separated from the shell upon harvest. Yeah, right. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so they're not as big as I thought they were. Yeah, I guess the the really big old ones are out in the wild. Yeah, yeah, you do see ones in the wild that are that are as big as the ones you probably thought. You know, mm. so <laughs> I've seen some that are. Uh, I'm six foot three, and I've seen some that are as long as me out in the wild. So, wow, um, that's got away. That's got away close to a ton. Yeah, and are they just sitting on the sand, or, or are they hooked in somehow? Well, um. Some of the species uh, will just sit out on the sand, like uh, the, the Tridacna hippopus and uh, the Tridacna gigas, which are the primary um, sources for meat clams that, that we're producing. Um, but um, uh, species like the Tridacna dorasa and uh, T. crocea and T. squamosa and T. maxima um, actually uh, connect into the rock structure, uh, the coral structure out on the reef flat. So um, they're actually embedded down into the rock. Yeah, right. That'd make that a bit harder to get off, I guess. 
Yeah, well, um, see, when we produce those species, uh, we, we wouldn't, uh, we, we'd, um, we, we'd grow them uh, on a, not, not an artificial rock, but in an artificial setting, you know, and uh, those are our uh, primary um, uh, aquarium species. So, um, you know, you'd get a, if you were buying that product, you, you'd get a, a rock with a couple of lovely, uh, colorful little clams embedded into it and that, that you could just put into your saltwater aquarium. Yeah, right. So it's ready attached. Yeah, yeah, ready, ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's great. Mm. Yeah, right. So I guess you got, yeah, yeah. What, what are the products? You, you keep coming up with all these different uses for these things. Oh, yeah, look, um, there's a wide wide range of uses. Um, uh, because our primary uh, export target is, uh, is the Asian market, um, the giant clam has really a big cultural significance uh, throughout the South China Sea. Um, apparently, uh, just about every household down there in that area has a giant clam shell on their mantelpiece with their family uh, coat of arms, if you will, um, etched into the, they do carvings out of it, you know. Um, yeah, it's, right. uh, yeah, they've substituted it for uh, for ivory. So, um, um, yeah, so it's uh, taking the pressure off the ivory trade as well. But uh, yeah, really, really high uh, cultural significance there with the shell, and the, the meat is highly sought after in those areas as well. And uh, obviously, you probably never taste a giant clam, but. If you, if you had, you'd understand why they like it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so something something a bit unrelated that I've been I've been thinking about for a number of years is is swimming pools. I mean, swimming pools are a massive user of energy throughout the whole of the Western world, really, because they're pushing all this water through a bunch of densely packed sand to filter it. Yeah. Uh, do do um, the giant clams provide a water filtering sort of function as well? Uh, well, no, look, but. Um they they obviously filter feeders, but um, but um, uh, we 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 do use other other species in uh, polyculture, such as um, seaweed, actually um, planted in between in the in between the oyster bed oyster grow out beds. Mm. And what that does is it mitigates the amount of nitrates that come off of the oyster beds and go back into the water. So it uh, it um, it filters filters those out and. Um, and uh, you know provides uh, water purity on the other side. Yeah. Um, but as far as I know, no, the giant clam doesn't really serve that kind of purpose. But uh, you know, uh, other other um, organisms uh, that we're farming, such as the sea cucumber, kind of do the same thing. You know, they um, they clean up the nitrates in the water. So yeah, um, stuff like that. Yeah, that'd be a bit of a pity, really. You can imagine just getting all the chlorine out of your swimming pool, bunging in a few giant clams and going for a swim. That'd be great. Yeah, that Switch would be great. Switch the filter off. <laughs> and, and, have a, and have a good look while you're at it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, they're, really, they're really a beautiful organism, eh? When you, when you see them in the wild, um, they're just breathtaking. Yeah, right. Can you describe some of the good ones? Okay, so um, in, in, the, uh, in the aquarium products that we're going to do... Um, like the tri- Tridacna squamosa um, <clears throat> has these brilliant, uh, brilliant uh, 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 fleshy flutes that come off the edge of the meat inside the clam, and the and the colours are really brilliant. Um, there's there's um, <clears throat> genetic lines that um, actually have little teardrop um, shapes on the on the mantle itself, and uh, yeah, they're just a uh, Really technicolor, uh, really, uh, really good. Um, you find mostly um, the really bright green ones 
and uh, they're just uh, they they hit your eye just straight away when you see them, eh? Yeah, nice, nice. Um, yeah, so I guess the other the other sort of product that I'm thinking is potential with these things is um is carbon sequestration because I, I know that plants basically in their photosynthesis they they pull the carbon out of the air and turn it into wood so all these trees that you're looking at are made of air mostly which is a bit weird yeah. if you ask me but yeah. is, is the clamshell the same sort of thing well it does it does um um it does dissolve carbon dioxide out of the water so it's a, it's a great way to do that um and, and obviously, the more you have in one area, the, the more carbon dioxide you're going to dissolve out of the water. So, yeah, yeah in that respect, they do. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, and what else? I mean, the, the shells, you said they sort of replace ivory. You can pretty much do anything with them then, eh? Yeah, well, um, uh, they, uh, even in the early days, I think they used to crush the shells up to make a kind of mortar or cement, you know. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, the the the, the um, heavy use of ivory in in Asia um, kind of forced forced bands there, you know, and um and and as an alternative, they've they've turned to the giant clam shell. It's a uh, it's a uh, calcium carbonate, so really really uh, malleable, really easy to to carve, and um, yeah, I I just think um, it's got so many uses. Mm. Can it be sharpened like a knife? Um, you know, I, I suppose it could be, but I don't think it would hold an edge. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's pretty, um, calcium carbonate is, is pretty, uh, brittle yeah. when, when it's, when it's uh, aged, you know? Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, so... But, uh, but people do use, um, do use the shells as decorative, decorative art and, uh, natural, natural art, you know, like, uh, um, my chief project consultant has a, has a, a little sink, in his house, uh, there's just a giant clamshell for the basin, you know, <laughs> that he's made himself. Uh, it's really, really neat. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, there's, there's a ton of things you can do with those. Um, any other products that they produce? You know, um, I, 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 can't, uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head mm-hmm. just yet. Um, I, we primarily focus on the, the, the applications that we're using on the for the for our products, you know, so um, mm. haven't really dwelled into it too much, except yeah. for the ones that we know of, you know. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So, do you grow them on their own, or? Um, uh, no, no, we, we grow them. Uh, we grow them in huge uh, grow out paddocks, you know. Um, so you, you've probably got a giant clam uh, every half a meter or so, mm. and uh, we, we'd have them. Den- yeah, we'd have them densely packed out on on the grow out areas. Yeah, right. That'd look pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. You watch where yeah, you're stepping. Yeah, well, it's quite amazing actually when you see them in such uh, dense, um, dense population densities. You know, um, when you walk out onto the reef flat, and they all uh, want to, they all want to close up at the same time and squirt water out. So it's really quite a spectacle to see. You know. Half a million clams all doing that at once. <laughs> <laughs> so their reaction to to a person or something is to yeah, close yeah, up. Yeah. Reaction to movement or anything. And yeah. they actually squirt water out at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, they're, they're full of water, so when the adductor muscle can uh, contracts, um, it forces all the water that's in in them, you know, out, out <laughs> the valves. So yeah, it's quite a spectacle to see. Uh, be, you know, be. a lot of them at the same time doing that. <laughs> That's hilarious, yeah. and um, yeah. So you're in a you're in a pretty bad cyclone place. Do they ever get washed away? Well, um, 
You know, my parents uh, back thirty thirty some years ago um, had a had a giant clam um, little aquaculture project over there that they were exploring, and um, uh, they did have oysters as well. And a cyclone came through and wiped out um, the oyster beds, but the clams remained unharmed. So mm. I guess um, using that as an example, there we go. Better than oysters. Better than oysters. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So. So do you, do you grow them alongside oysters and, and, and other other species as well? Yeah, and that's the beauty of um, aqua farming, Scotty, is that um, it, you don't have to really separate these species. Um, you, you can uh, grow them side by side. So, yeah, they um, they don't bother each other because they occur naturally in the wild side by side as well, you know. Hmm. Hmm. And is there any pollution that comes out of such a dense population? Well, um, you're always uh, you're always um, going to be looking at uh, nitrates coming off of um, uh, off of organisms in densely populated areas, um, especially if you're using antibiotics um, on your stock as well. So yeah, you're always going to be looking at um, um, stuff to mitigate coming off of large, uh, largely populated areas. Hmm. Do you do you give clams antibiotics much? Or? Well, no. Don't seem to have to up this way. They're pretty resilient here, so um, uh, I suppose maybe where water quality would be poorer, you would probably have to have to um, use antibiotics in those circumstances. Yeah, right. So that that's a practice within the industry. What's that? Sorry, is, is that a common practice in the industry? Well, not that I've not that I've ever found. Oh, you, know what I, you know what I mean? So yep. um, you, I've I've seldom heard of it happening so it's probably not too common but yeah. I, again i've got to say it's probably all to do with um the water quality that's yeah. being used so it sounds like it'd be pretty tricky to sneak up and slip the pill in there before they've closed up on you <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> you'd, you'd probably you'd probably introduce it through uh, uh through the algae blend that you that you'd feed them in the lab you know so yeah yeah so you mentioned trochus shells before as being one of the big industries up there. Are they any use in the in the clam industry? Um, yeah, they are actually. They're uh, they're a big part of polyculture and and uh, giant clam farming, um, where they um, they clean uh, the algae off of the off of the reef beds so that the clams can seat. You know, they they can uh, they can attach themselves. Some of the smaller clams like the squamosa and that. Um, yeah, and. Um, you find them widely used in giant clam aquaculture um, because of that reason. Um, they just they clean the organism up. They they eat the algae. It's a snail that feeds on algae, of course. So yeah, they they clean the organism up and the area where they where they have to bed. You know. Yeah, yeah right, right. And and um, you know it's it, it's a it is a polyculture product, but it is a marketable product as well. So um, you get you get uh, you get many uses out of it. Hmm. Mm. So the, the, you said before that, that trochus was one of the big industries there in, in the days gone by. What do they use trochus for? Well, they um they they made buttons out of out of oh, the yeah. shells actually. So yeah, <laughs> um, uh, I'm I'm sure that they don't make buttons out of trochus shell anymore. But uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that that that's what the world's buttons were made out of. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, but the, the meat is highly favourable as well. So yeah, um, right. Yeah, they they would have they would have uh, they would have uh, harvested them for meat as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And are there any other things? I guess the oysters. You mentioned there's oysters. You grow with them too. So what else is in that polyculture? You got oysters, trochus, clams. 
Well, yeah, the the, the sea the seaweed is uh, the seaweed and the chokers are the main uh, main uh, polyculture products that that, uh, that we'll be producing. Um, but um, the other species that we're producing are uh, sea cucumber, which um, can be processed into beach demer, and it's a very uh, it's a superfood, you know. So um, yeah, nice one, nice one. Yeah, so have you actually got uh, an operation set up at the moment? No, we're, we're not set up at the moment, Scotty. Um, we're, we're still going through the um, assessment process uh, for That's the right, yeah. joint permit between um, the Marine Park Authority and the Department of Infrastructure and Local Government Planning. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- once we've once we've been assessed, then uh, then we'll be allowed to start uh, setting up. But um, as far as it goes. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we, we've we've got our hatchery um, together. We've got um, we've got all the equipment that we need to set up our hatchery. We're just waiting on the the okay to move on over and set on up. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And are there a lot of other places around the world that are that are doing this? I, uh, yeah, look, there is um, there is a lot of places around the world that are uh, farming giant clam, uh, Papua New Guinea, for instance, and uh, um, you know in the in the in the, in the South China Sea, they're, they're looking at farming uh, giant clams. Um, so, yeah, you do find it quite extensively um, throughout the world, um, just not so extensively throughout uh, Australia, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. And is there is there a good community amongst the, the clam farms? They talk to each other and... Pretty much out of out of stuff here. Um, anything else you'd like to add before you uh, before we wrap up? Um, yeah, look, I just wanted to say something quickly about um, why we're why we're why, why we want to do this um, mm-hmm. this project here on Palm Island. Um, we're faced with a with a pretty um, uh, shaky economy over here, and um, and it's due to the lack of industry, and um, <clears throat> it, it creates it creates. Um, not only economic problems, but uh, social problems arise as well. So we, we want to um, stimulate our economy here on Palm Island with this project, and um, it's going to be a great way to do it because, um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing something that people on Palm Island have been have been accustomed to doing in their everyday life, you know, since their, since their lives began. So um, we're taking something that we already know, and we're turning it into something that we can uh, really use to give ourselves a boost here. Um, we desperately need some industry on Palm Island. It's going to create jobs. I mean, look, the things that are going to come from this are uh, just going to help our island so much. So I just wanted to say that. And uh, uh, so since I'm uh, since I'm uh, talking on a radio show in Canberra, uh, I just got to give a shout out for my brother-in-law uh, Vincent Melody. He's the biggest Canberra Raider fan going. <laughs> so, yeah, like, go Raiders, he says. Hey. <laughs> yeah. But, hey, look, it was great to be on your show, Scotty. Thanks for having me so much. Um, I really uh, love the opportunity to speak about uh, what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah, and if anyone wants to find out more, is there a way they can do that? Well, um, yeah, people can uh, email me at uh, thomasjordanhanson at gmail.com. 
Uh, I don't have a website set up for our business um, just yet. Uh, I'll cross that bridge when I get there, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> there's, there's lots of bridges to cross for us yet. <laughs> no worries. No worries. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining us and good luck with your project. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. Cheers, mate. This interview was done in the studios of Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Community Radio relies on its listeners for funding. If you enjoyed this program and would like to hear more programs like it, please donate by going to 2XXFM.org.au, click Support 2XX, and then donate, subscribe, volunteer, or sponsor us. Thanks.